Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Haas Talks Floss. I'm the Haas, Matt Yankovic, head of open source strategy here at Percona, and I'm here with Robert Hodges from Altinity. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Matt. Ah, that's wonderful. Now, Robert, you have been in the open source space for a long time. Uh, you've been around the database space for a long time. Uh, you know, I remember back in the days, uh, you over at Continuant, and you've kind of evolved into Altinity now. Uh, how did you get started thinking databases? You know, it's I was in the military and uh, from 1980 to 1984, and about halfway through, I was working as a programmer for so-called Air Force Intelligence. And about half my halfway through my my hitch, our unit bought a database. It was called M204. And uh, to make a long story short, it was the coolest piece of software I'd ever seen. Okay. All I could think of when I got out of it, I wanted to go get a job for the company that wrote it. It was uh, a company called Computer Corporation of America in Cambridge. I didn't get a job. I ended up going back to the University of Washington. And instead, a few years later, I got a job at Sybase. That was my first industry job and where I really learned, uh, began to learn databases. And it's been fun and, and uh, interesting and and. Uh, ever since. Well, and the database industry has evolved immensely over that time period. I mean, we have gone from, you know, a, a very multi-purpose database, you know, you mentioned Sybase or Oracle, where you kind of have one database and it has to do all different kinds of workloads to now right. almost a database for every workload. That's that's right. Although, you know, what's funny is, um, yeah, there's, there's just this huge, well, there's a huge number of ways that you can that you can access and use data. And in fact, the first database I worked with M204 was pre-relational. It used something called inverted file access method. Uh, didn't have SQL. You actually, we programmed it using COBOL, which was uh, kind of interesting. But yes, so, you know, in the 90s, that was sort of the heyday of the relational database, the, as you say, the singing, dancing uh, SQL database. But even then, uh, there, were there were other databases contending against the relational model. For example, I worked on something called Brahms, which was an attempt by Sybase to rewrite their flagship uh, SQL Server database into an object relational database. I uh, didn't succeed, and as a result, uh, Sybase kind of faded away. But there's always been this, these, this constant you know, sort of efforts to bring in new technologies. I think where things really changed was in the first decade of the 2000s with the advent of NoSQL, eventually, consistent, uh, eventually consistent uh, databases. And, and at that point, we, and, and very, very large amounts of data. And that's something that I think shifted, you know, moved the needle and got people looking much more seriously at other, uh, you know, sort of non-relational databases and then new ways to do relational databases as well. So what kind of brought you to ClickHouse? Like, you know, as, as Altinity, it, that's their expert area of expertise. Like what kind of led to that? Um, it's actually really simple. Uh, one of my best friends is a guy called Alexander Zaitsev. And I've known him, I think we met in 2003 in St. Petersburg. It was like about four, maybe five companies ago. And uh, he was running a lab in Moscow. And I was uh, a manager for the product that, that, that his team was working on. So we got to be friends. Uh, we moved on to other companies, remained friends. And a few years, uh, a few years ago, he said to me, "Hey, Robert, I know you like databases. There's a really cool database you need to come look at." And at the time, I was working on VMware. It was a, it was after we had sold Continuant to them, and I was sort of like, "Yeah, yeah, 
uh, sounds great. I'm busy here, you know, and, uh, but I eventually came and looked at it and sure enough, it was really phenomenal. It's, it's a really, really great database. In fact, the best way I can explain it is it's kind of like my SQL, only it's for analytic queries. So MySQL is great for transaction processing, you know, quick queries, very high rates of concurrency. ClickHouse is has a lot of the, the same things that make MySQL great. Like it's just one process. It talks, it's open source. It talks a really friendly dialect to SQL, um, but it works on analytic queries. So once I got into it, I, I, I got hooked and I ended up leaving VMware working for free for six months for, um, for Altenity and then just really getting sunk into this great, um, really wonderful database. Now, you know, with, with classic open source, you know, there are many different deployments and use cases. People do some crazy eclectic things with open source, right? You never know what kind of weird things, wild things, cool things are going to happen. I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, in your experience, how have you seen ClickHouse uh, be deployed? You know, are there some really you know, interesting examples that just kind of jump out and like, wow, I, I never would have thought of that, but it's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, what's what's kind of cool about about uh, analytic databases, uh, and in particular, analytic databases like ClickHouse, is they actually enable entirely new businesses. And I'll give you a couple examples. One, there's a company called Mux, which has a, co- a video content delivery network. They are the good people that bring you the Super Bowl when you're streaming it on your browser. Now, what they do is as those downloads are streaming across the internet through their content delivery network, they're collecting a bunch of metrics that, you know, like, hey, um, you know, like, are you doing rebuffering? Do you have errors? Um, you know, are, is there like, a, does, you know, what, you know, do you appear to have capacity problems? And that stuff is being fed into a data warehouse in real time so that as the folks are running the Super Bowl, they can actually go in you know, check the quality of the streams that are being delivered to all their users, identify problems, find the root causes, and fix them in real time. This is something that simply wouldn't exist without these databases, without a database like ClickHouse that one, can load this data really quickly, and two, give you answers back in a second or less. So it's an entirely new business. Another one is uh, is real-time marketing. So there are You'll go to a website. After a while, they'll say, "Hey, do you want to have a? You know, isn't it time you took that pop up or took that uh, ad blocker off and signed up for the website?" That may be backed and is in some cases by a data warehouse that is loading data in real time and then where they're asking questions literally as the page is rendered to say, "Hey, is it time to put that? Uh, is it time to ask them to become a member?" Uh, again, so, a business but, but, that wouldn't exist without this technology. But Robert, now hold up. So you're telling me that you are behind those annoying pop-ups that say, like, remove my ad blocker. Is that what you just said? Like, because Robert. Uh, well, uh, it's, it's, yes, I know. And this is something I have to explain to my children uh, that I'm making the world a better place by enabling ads and things like that to be shown more quickly and efficiently. But... It is interesting that what you are seeing here is that businesses are dependent on being able to analyze what's happening in the real world and react in real time. And I'll give you a much more serious example that I think is, is probably more relevant and, and um, I, I think is obviously uh, you know, a little bit 
clearer that it's a benefit to you know to the uh, to users at large. That's security. So one of the things that happens is if you have exploits going on, you may suddenly see a, a you know like a service running out in the cloud, all of a sudden making DNS requests to a server that's uh, that's known to contain malware. So um, what happens in security systems, and we have a bunch of these folks as customers, is, <coughs> excuse me, they're, they're loading logs. And what, what they're doing is they're then scanning these logs in real time and looking for unusual patterns of use. Mm-hmm. Again, being able to, and, and so what's critical in, you know, when you're, when you're running these systems is two things. One, you must be able to scan the load and analyze the data very quickly. And then when you actually detect some sort of exploit that may be ongoing, you also need to be able to look not just at the stuff that happened in the last five minutes, but go back into history, you know, maybe going back up to a year or more to, to understand the context and how, you know, what you're seeing now developed over time. Data warehouses like ClickHouse, which operate in basically give you real-time response across enormous data sets, allow you to solve this problem. And I don't think I can't think of anybody that wants things on the you know wants things on the internet to be less secure. So this is a, this is a really wonderful use case, and again, one that that ClickHouse um, ClickHouse enables. No, and I mean I think as technology has advanced, we've gotten an insatiable appetite for real time data, real time yeah. access. Nobody nobody has patience. Let's be honest, we we, we lack patience. Yeah. That's right. It's, um, you know, there's, you know, like one of the, one of the early users of ClickHouse, they used to have a, a problem that they would describe as, hey, it's just too much trouble to figure it out. In other words, I would be sitting there for, you know, like an hour to run a query to find something. And by the time that query gets back, I've forgotten what I even asked. On the other hand, if you could ask questions as an analyst and get, you know, like about security, about your network, uh, you know, about, um, you know, marketing uh, problems about web, a- web analytics. And if you can get an answer back in two seconds, that's an entirely different level of, of engagement that you can have with data and allows you to de- develop, you know, sort of recursively develop real insights into your business. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as, as we have moved into this environment where everybody wants things now, um, they want it immediately. We've also had this inflection point where, um, everybody has their own little piece of the pie. Everyone's using microservices. Everyone has their own little databases, their own little infrastructures, which means that now we have all of our data, we have more of it, in all kinds of different places. So we've taken you know, the data that we need and we've spread it out across 10,000 systems. So mm-hmm. you know, the, the analytic systems, whether it be ClickHouse or something else, that can pull those together and analyze them quickly and efficiently, I think is, is a, you know, a key part of that infrastructure. They are absolutely because a, a lot of what that it is exactly, as you say, you need to fetch the, the data out of sometimes thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of sources, put them in a single place where you can start to ask questions. The other thing is that we're starting to see analytics uh, particularly real-time analytics embedded in just about every application. And this is the other thing where, where these open source, you know, sort of very capable open source data warehouses are really wonderful because remember when MySQL arrived, mm-hmm. it enabled millions of people to run relational databases. You can't say it didn't really take, it didn't really take business away from Oracle 
what it did was said, hey, everybody who runs a website can have MySQL backing it up. And so, uh, and so the same thing with, is happening with data warehouses that every application that wants to present analytics to their users, they can now have one of these open source databases sitting behind it and they can give people this access to this information that they need. Yeah. Now, Robert, I know um, we, we are a bit short on time today, but I'd like to kind of go into rapid fire mode on these podcasts and let you know a few questions fly and see what, what comes of them. So I, I want to move to that phase real quick here um, and, and throw some interesting and odd questions at you. So, um, you know, number one, let's just start with, you know, what was the last book you read? The last book I read, actually, I can tell what I'm uh, what I'm reading right now. Okay, it's the Vicomte de Bragelon by Dumas. So, and I'm right in the middle of uh, the uh, the the various machinations of the courtiers at the court of uh, Louis XIV, the Sun King, and uh, it's a wonderful book. I've been reading it for I was you know on a business trip to Armenia. I've been reading it in one plane after another, and now. I'm sort of reading it at night when I wake up from jet lag. That's my oh, current book. Okay. Okay. Well, that that is a first. I haven't I haven't had anybody say that on the on the podcast yet. So, um, you know, you you get the the cake for that one. Now, if we are to meet up, and we will in a couple of weeks in Austin, um, and you know, you talk, and people are come up and say, "Hey, let me buy you a drink," um, and and hear all about Clickhouse. What drink are you going to order? What is the beverage of choice? Well, there's no question that a double IPA, a double if, IPA. Okay. If it's available. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is there a particular IPA that you're looking for? Like, you know, um, actually that's a great question. It will in that case always be something local. So I don't know the name yet. Uh -huh. uh, it's going to be in Austin. I, I, I don't want to drink uh, Sierra Nevada or something like that. That's we've got that in California. I can get that any day. I want to see what the, I want to see what people are drinking in Texas and try something new. All right. What, so out of all of these, these technologies that are out there, out of all these different things, what is the most exciting thing that you see out there that you're really interested in that you think is going to revolutionize the technology space? Well, I'm kind of hoping it's, it's Kubernetes. Uh, the, uh, yeah, and this is funny because Kubernetes gets a huge amount of hate uh, because it's complicated. And, uh, but what I think is interesting is that right now we have this huge pendulum swing to the cloud, which is basically centralized computing. And, um, but, you know, this, we've seen these, this pendulum move back and forth over the last few decades of, of computing. And the thing is that there are, in fact, an awful lot of applications where people like to be able to choose where they run them. They don't necessarily want to pay huge bills to Amazon. They have security reasons uh, for running it in a particular place in a particular way, and they may have data that is resident in a particular location. Kubernetes is, is a way of having a common platform that just works everywhere. There are some things about it like networking, you know, sort of external networking that are different. But in general, if something were, if an application runs on Kubernetes running in my closet, which is about 10 feet that way, um, it will run up in, in Amazon, it will run on DigitalOcean, it will run pretty much anywhere you want. So why is that interesting? Well, I think we can run databases now anywhere that we want, but still have that cloud experience. Everybody wants the ease of use of the cloud, and they want the, the ability to spin things up, spin things down, not have to really uh, worry about all the 
about all the underpinnings, but they also want the freedom to run it wherever they need to. Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> it's a very common answer. I mean, a lot of people are excited about what is happening in the Kubernetes space, how that's evolving. Um, I think that that's uh, something that we all are paying attention to. Right, right. And I think that just, you know, within within the database field, um, I, you know, I think the, um, you know, there's just, there's one of the things that has just been really amazing about databases is the innovation just doesn't stop. So, you know, we're continuing to see, like in data warehouses, we're, uh, we're seeing the evolution with ClickHouse, we're seeing SQL evolve, we're seeing the ability to deal with structured and, and together with semi-structured data. Um, you know, every time you turn around, there's something new. So I'm really excited about, in particular, about the way that databases are evolving and then enabling new types of businesses and enabling people to solve new kinds of problems. So I, that's also something that really excites me. I've been doing this for almost 40 years and it never gets old. If there is one thing that you can get through to, you know, IT folks, you know, maybe, you know, VPs, CIOs, CTOs, if you could tell them one thing that they need to fix or focus on or not avoid, what would that thing be? What's that big issue that they should be thinking about? Yeah. So what would be the big issue? Um, that's a tough one. Because there's so many things that, you know, if you, if you build systems, there are so many things at any given time that are broken. I think that one of the things that I see and I think about a lot is how much should I be depending on SaaS services? I hope this doesn't sound too obscure, but right now it's really common to say, hey, I got to get out to market. So you end up building a system that works, but it actually works because it points to 13 or 14 different SaaS services that you've connected to. This is a complete rat's nest. And mm -hmm. I think what people, it's kind of like the supply chains that you had for things like the Boeing 787 project, which kind of undid, it came undone because they had such a complex supply chain. We're seeing this in software supply chains. I think people, you know, some of the events that are going on in the world today, um, are beginning to make people think a little bit more about these software supply chains and just, do you really want to build these applications that have all these entangled connections to services running all over the internet? I think actually the answer to that is no. We, we need to build systems that are simpler and we also need to, you know, just take responsibility for having more of the code, you know, just baked into the application as opposed to depending on these complex services. So that's that's something I definitely think people need to think about. It's going to become more clear over time that that those they're building systems that are essentially unmaintainable. Yeah, I mean, supply chain issues within the software space is yeah. critical, and we see that every day, especially with uh, some people nuking some of the open source software they've even developed. Uh, you know, for whatever exactly. reasons. Exactly. It's and, in in fact is and and you know like you build these systems. What happens when somebody takes away or nukes, you know, like a little, um, you know, JavaScript library that you're depending on? Same problem with with SaaS services. One of these SaaS services goes belly up. All of a sudden, you may not get any notification at all, and all of a sudden, bang! You know it happened because your application doesn't work anymore, and you lost all your data. So. Well, well, Robert, thanks for hanging out with us today. Um, yeah. I appreciate you sharing some thoughts, giving us a, a little bit of detail behind ClickHouse. And, uh, you know, it was great having you on. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to see you at Percona Live. Yes.
yes, everyone who's watching this, um, go ahead, like this video, subscribe to it, you know, and, and do come out to Percona Live. Uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us today. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.